a, a director doesn't take on ideas is an idiot and, and, and won't have much yeah. of a career because you surround yourself with extremely talented individuals yeah. merely so you can take on their ideas and squeeze their brains and and then you stick your name on it saying directed by so-and-so at the front <laughs> and how wonderful you haven't only been the you know have to, have to rely upon your own ingenuity and imagination but you've got all these other people feeding you all the benefit of their many years of experience and talents and skills as well Welcome to Living in Entertainment, a podcast where I chat with talented professionals from different sectors of the entertainment industry. This week, I speak to John East, an amazing director who's worked on the likes of Killing Eve, Cursed, and Downton Abbey, about his career journey and the intricacies of working as a director. How did you become a director? Um, how did I become a director? Gosh, well, I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a very long journey. I mean, I started filmmaking when I was uh, 10 years of age, which was 1972. And uh, I was on Super 8 or Standard 8 millimeter. And uh, it was a kind of a childhood teenage hobby, which I then um, pursued academically. You know, I, I did a degree in filmmaking. And um, when that finished, uh, I, you know, I've sort of, you know, as a young individual, 23, 24, I was thrown out into the into the world and I had to sort of you know, make a living somehow uh, uh, navigating towards being a director. And and the route I took, well, at first you're just scrabbling around to get a job, you know, so, so I, I, I got work as a storyboard artist and um, so I can draw fairly well. And um, that led on to hanging around a particular production company uh they did in-house editing i did a bit of assistant editing uh that seemed then to me a good route to learn how to direct to become an editor so i i directed my attention to becoming an assistant film editor this is on 16 millimeter back in the day before digital and uh, tape and electronic arrived yeah. um I, I i worked as an assistant for a number of years i became a film editor for a number of years um during that time i was making my own short films so i was spending my wages uh, saving them up and making short films, yeah. um, sending those off to producers, hoping that someone would hire me as a director and cut a very long story short. You know, in the end, someone did. Uh, they looked at my short films and went, yes, you know, you can graduate from editing into directing. And um, I started off with short um, sort of factual items, semi-dramatic items, uh, then sending those to soap producers to try and get onto doing soaps, which are the bottom rung of the ladder of, of drama directing, I suppose. Yeah. And um, after a while, you crack that and, you know, and then you get onto the soaps and then, uh, and that, then that, that, that can become a bit of a trap, actually, the, soap, the soaps, because producers with, with greater ambitions than soap operas don't tend to respect soap opera directors that much. So I had to still carry on my short filmmaking, uh, you know, funded by myself in order to prove that I could do something more than a soap. Uh, but you are learning a lot of skills there, so it's, it's not a, it's not time wasted. It's it's time very well spent because you're learning a lot. But um, uh, I, I needed to make another short film to kind of progress me out of soaps, and, which, and I did do that. I funded another short film, made that, 
got onto sort of post-watershed drama and pretty much that's where you find me now um by post-watershed drama i just mean material that tends to go out after nine o'clock and is serious and yeah. intense tone and what have you you know yeah so you've directed um like short films and films and also quite a lot of television what what would you say are the main differences between the two um it's funny that that question is becoming increasingly sort of less you know pertinent in a way because because 10 15 years ago um you know, drama on television was fundamental. You know, was 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 quite different from drama on, on, on uh, you know, or, or large scale cinema. In so much as the, the you, one's relationship to the screen. How can I put this? See, TVs have got bigger. Now that's not just yeah. a technical consideration. It, it it has artistic implications as well because you know if your television screen is only twenty inches across. And and uh, you're sitting in a in a on a sofa watching it at home, and most people's TVs and sofas are between six and eight feet apart. Then clearly you need to shoot your close-ups bigger to make the face bigger, so you can read the emotions more. And you won't play emotional moments in mid shots because you can't see the faces; they're just too small. However, if you then triple the size of that TV set, you say it's sixty-five yeah. inch or seventy inch which a lot of people have in their homes now. Now, of course, the homes haven't got any bigger. The living rooms aren't bigger. The sofa's still only six or eight feet away from the television set. But now the image is three or four times bigger than it used to be 10 or 15 years ago. Well, inevitably, you're then pushed into relationship to the screen as a viewer, which is more analogous to that when you're sitting in a cinema seat. And a cinema seat, you may be 40 foot away from the screen, but the screen may be 20 foot big. So, you know, in that sense, your relationship to a, a large screen in your living room is becoming more of a, an analog to the theatrical you know movie going experience so the language of 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 certainly of the camera if nothing else and other things as well come on to that but but certainly the language of the camera uh, of television directing is more analogous now to that of cinema directing as much as you can shoot wider shots hold emotional moments in wider shots hold them in mid shots and people can still read the emotional sort of uh you know um uh, psychological sort of you know beats on an actor's face whereas if the screen was only a third size that you can't so inevitably that's had an impact on 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 televisual language yeah i mean the other differences are are sort of you know financial and administrative in so much as if if you're working for you know on the big screen then normally the budgets are higher and you're shooting less per day so you're shooting maybe two pages of script per day as opposed to some, I'm I'll be I'll be normally shooting on even on high end television I'll be shooting between four and six pages a day and sometimes I'll be shooting eight or nine pages a day you know to make up perhaps for the one day when I'm shooting you know only a page of action or something you know so but on 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 a typical feature you'd probably be shooting about two pages a day and possibly even less so that means inevitably you can you can give more time to what you're doing. You know, if you're only able yeah. to shoot two pages of, of action a day, then you can shoot you, you can spend much more time on it, more care, and and that will also affect the visual language because you may find yourself saying, "Well, we have the time to take the camera closer to this individual to get a close up. We have to physically pick up the camera, physically move it, put it somewhere else, put a different lens on it. All those things take time. Where if you're working in 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 very fast turnaround TV. If you're sitting in the corner of a room filming somebody in a chair opposite, you may go, wow, now we need a close up. 
have we got time to move the camera no we haven't have we got time to to zoom in on a zoom lens yes we have that takes seconds bam do that so your close-up is shot on a zoom lens as opposed to a wide lens which with the camera having moved closer so even the time factor will affect your visual approach so i've heard a lot of uh a lot of directors uh in cinema or tv they they tend to take on maybe ideas from the cast or crew or sometimes they'll run with an improvisation of an actor. Do you ever find yourself in that situation where you're maybe taking on ideas? A, a, a director doesn't take on ideas, he's an idiot and, and, and won't have much yeah. of a career because you surround yourself with extremely talented individuals, nearly yeah. so you can take on their ideas and squeeze their brains. And, and then you stick your name on it saying directed by so-and-so at the front. And how <laughs> wonderful. You haven't only been the, you know, have to, have to rely upon your own ingenuity and imagination, but you've got all these other people feeding you all the benefit of their many years of experience and talents and skills as well. So it's a daily experience to, to, to take on the ideas of other people. That's that's what they're there for. Otherwise, you might as well do it all yourself. So <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not robots, you know, that they're, they're, yeah. they're they're thinking creative individuals and that's exactly what they're there for is, is to give you ideas your job as a director is to sort out the good ideas well no i was about to say the good ideas and the bad ideas that's not that's not accurate what let me be more accurate your i your mostly you're, you're provided with good ideas because the people you're surrounded with are, are very talented individuals so they're constantly supplying you with a multitude of good ideas one's job as a director is is to sort out the appropriate ideas from the inappropriate yeah. ideas your job as a director is guess what to make it go in a direction not multiple mm. directions but a direction one direction yeah. uh, so so all everybody's efforts in every department are all focused to, to a given and particular end and a, and a specific end an end which ideally you forged uh, and codified in in collaboration with you know one senior sort of colleagues producers and execs etc so your job as a director is to listen to all the various ideas given to you by all the heads of department and, and other people down the food chain up the food chain and actors and everybody and kind of go that's a great idea we'll use that one that's also a great idea but we won't use that one because that's not appropriate to the story that we're telling or the moment yeah. that we're trying to articulate so that's kind of how that works uh, in terms of improvisation um, some actors love it. Some actors hate it. Some actors are, mm. uh, are, are welcome it. Some actors, you know, think that's of absolutely no value whatsoever. And actors are all really come come. You know, although they may come from you know a, a range of schools. You know, you get people. You know, people from Stella Adler and people. You know, more classical method and or people from a you know sort of a, a British theatrical tradition or what have you. Um, nevertheless, really, they've all got their own method. They've all got their own individual way of going about things. And yeah. you have to roll with that. And, you know, maybe you get an insight into that when you're casting. Maybe you don't. But whatever it is, certainly when you're working, you soon get insight into it. And you have to find a methodology which works for that individual and for their fellow cast members. So and, and that's, uh, that's sometimes a challenge because different people need different things. And yet they're all in the same scene together. And as a director, yeah. you have to service all of all of their needs as best you can. Uh, improvisation is one tool out of many. Um, sometimes it can be a value. Sometimes it's a distraction. In in a lot of shows you direct, such as like Curse, um, The Last Kingdom, and Killing Eve, when there's multiple directors, um, how do you remain? How do you, how do you keep that continuity flowing uh, in terms of how it how it will yeah. appear on screen? A lot of a lot of 
a lot of people are interested in the answer to this. This is a very common sort of inquiry, and I, I understand how, how it works. Well, it, it, sitting behind that question really is a sort of assumption about or a sort of unspoken assumption and and it's a completely understandable one about the sort of difference between art and craft really because sure. because within that is a sort within what you sort of said you know somewhere in the foundations of that question is a sort of understanding that when that one's art is is very particular and very personal and and, and comes from, an, from a very anachronistic or individualistic or idiosyncratic space you know which is yeah. you know your own and 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 that craft is something which is more predicated on rules yeah. you know there's only one way to make a, a particular join in carpentry and, and and that's the way you make that join and that's the how that, that holds that chair together you know and, and that's not about art that's about craft you know yeah your question i suppose you know is 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 bound up in 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 the in the in the sort of alchemy of how art works with craft because if it was just a craft what i do then that question wouldn't have any reason to exist because you kind of go well you know we've decided to shoot this show on these three lenses uh, yeah. the camera will be at these proximities the lighting will be uh, you know all backlit and not frontlit it will be you know you could codify it all and then you could yeah. hand those rules to any director and every episode should pretty much look the same you know uh, yeah. in terms of how, well within the, within the parameters of how 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 well they're able to execute them but of course there is art as well as craft involved so one's personal taste uh, uh come comes comes into question in terms of you know how you square one's personal taste with keeping a show looking you know having a, some sort of visual continuity i suppose the way it works is that um you know, certain. Cert, I mean, you know, on on many shows, not all, but on many shows, there will be a codified, uh, you know, a, a document of codifications where where you a lookbook, if you want to call it that, or a tone document, sometimes it's called, where the lead director uh, will work out the look of the show, and will actually write that down, or or create or create a selection of images, you know, as as ex, as examples, and that will be handed to. Uh, the following directors to go, this is how we make this show. These are the sorts of lenses we use. This is the sort of lighting setup we use. This is how we block it. This is the sort of emotional sort of sort of, sort of flavor of the acting. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's here in relation to naturalism as opposed to there in relation to naturalism, you know, yeah. by naturalism, I mean, you sort of your Ken Loach style of, you know, a, a perfect simulacrum of reality. And a lot of acting is, is yeah. on a higher register or a lower register, depending upon, you know, your, your Wim Wenders or, or David Lynch or whoever, you know, you can, you can take the acting difference of registers, you know, Kubrick or whatever. So, 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 so there will be a kind of list of codified sort of, um, you know, sort of, sort of ways of going about the craft. Uh, so that, that gives it some continuity. And, and I guess, you know, one exercises one artful artfulness, i.e., one's taste within those boundaries, and therefore there's some variation episode to episode, but not so much so that each episode would twang and and look out of place. If I'm if I'm correct, you've just directed the last two episodes of The Last Kingdom. Indeed. Uh, what what was that like having to wrap it up for good? Well, it was an emotional experience. I've been on the show for three years. Uh, seasons two, two and three, and now seasons five. Um, so I've you know spent a lot of time thinking about that world. 
uh, sort of um, immersing myself in, in its characters, working with, you know, a, a, a large number of actors who are the same each year, um, working with the same, a lot of crew members who I knew to be the same, you know, and inevitably, uh, you know, it, it, it's an all-encompassing life working on, on a film set. And, uh, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, you spend many, many long hours on set, travelling to set, uh, uh, prepping when you're at home in the evenings and the weekends it's a very it's a it's a it takes over your life while you're shooting and and you and you you sort of give yourself to it and you give all of yourself to it you know you give your psychology you, you give your emotional self you you know you give your spiritual sense if you're if you're deeply connected to the material and you want it to to, to speak truly about human nature so inevitably anything that you give yourself to uh, so fully um you know, unless you're soci unless you're a sort of sociopath, you know, you 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 have a kind of emotional connection to, and and so when it comes to an end, there's a certain degree of grieving involved, as as with it was with the ending of anything which is a significant part of your life, yeah. um, uh, and and so there was an element of that, but also a sense of having, you know, contributed to something, you know, to a large number of people, to a team who have created something of interest, uh, and engagement to a large audience, you know, so so that's very satisfying. Yeah. Would you say it's quite a similar feeling to uh, maybe being a viewer of um, a long running show like The Last Kingdom? Well, I think there I think there are there are similarities. I mean, I it depends how much you invest in a show. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, I guess if I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that. <laughs> You know, audiences come to shows for many different reasons. You know, some come for distraction, entertainment. Some come for, uh, you know, as Ian Forster would say, you know, connection. You know, to actually connect to other human experience. And ultimately, I, I, I'd argue that that drama, uh, the function of drama, you know, in society is to provide a connection to the experience of others, and, and hopefully to promote a degree of empathy as a consequence. So, I think. Uh, for some people, you know, that's a larger part of their of their motivations for viewing, i.e. to connect to other human beings. So, uh, you know, they will be emotionally invested, in, in, you know, when uh, in characters in a show and when that show ends or a particular character dies or, or suffers some, you know, tragedy or something or, or suffers some joy, they will find their emotional sort of sense, you know, sort of mirroring or profiling or mapped onto that of the character. Uh, and yeah. so when the whole thing comes to an end and there's a degree of, grieving there and um certainly myself as a, as a director i give i as i said before i kind of give myself very fully to what i'm doing so yes i guess there probably is some sort of resonance between my experience and that of the audience yeah um so just one last question to wrap it up because i know you're quite busy uh what work of yours in your opinion are you most proud of of creating or being a part of in a project called Summerhill. It was a four times, it was a four, it was a four part drama uh, I'd made for CBBC and BBC Four, which was a, uh, a, 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 how can I put it? Um, it was a story uh, based on a true story. So it was based on the true story of Summerhill School, uh, which has been around since uh, 1921. In fact, it's celebrating its centenary this year. And um, I made a, a four-part drama about it for the BBC, uh, which dis which uh, sort of, A, explained the school's philosophy, and B, dramatised its 
its fight against the uh, government of the day who was trying to close it in 1999. Obviously, they succeeded and fended off Ofsted and, uh, and uh, won, won their case. But I'm, I'm very proud of that piece. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll be talking to Swedish actor Christian Hilborg, who starred in The Last Kingdom, Fleabag, and much more. For more updates, follow the show on Instagram at Living in Entertainment Podcast. See you next time.